I'm going to trouble you to, uh, to grab a Bible uh, uh, underneath the chair in front of you. If you guys are in the front row, just run around the back and, and uh, somebody will get one for you. These guys are going to get one for you guys in the front row. Um, it'd be great if everybody had a Bible and uh, we're going to be back in our Romans 8 uh, passage today. I'm Jeff, by the way. I'm one of the pastors on our staff. And uh, do you not love Katie Kearns, by the way? Do you not just love Katie Kearns? She's the best. Um, so... Uh, so grab Bibles, and uh, we're going to dig in a little bit. And that's what our series is called. It's called Digging in an In-Depth Look at the Love of God. We're studying Romans 8, and we're studying it verse by verse. And this, this deep truth about uh, our relationship with God, truths about our relationship with God, this is a huge chapter full of good stuff. And um, uh, we don't want to miss any of it. So we're going to dig in and go piece by piece. And it's about the love of God. All of this truth is centered in God's love for us, and so we're digging in an in-depth look at the love of God, but digging in is how we're doing it. And so last week, I, I made you turn, I, we turned on the lights like this, and I made you grab Bibles. We want everybody to have a Bible in front of them. We're going to read it together. We're going to do a little Bible study together, dig in uh, some, dig deep, and um, when I ran out of time, I'll stop talking. So um, you got a page number for Romans 8 in the church Bible, you guys? 10.4.3, again, thank you. So if you pick that one up, you can find it, 10.4.3. Um, so hang on to that. Put your finger in that, page 10.43 or Romans chapter 8 if you're using your own Bible. This is the NIV, by the way, that we're, uh, we're using. So let me tell you something. Can I tell you something about me? Can I tell you something about me? Um, this is something that, you, that would help you understand me a little bit. When I came from a non-church background, and so I didn't have any experience in, this, in the Bible. I had no experience going to church. I had, uh, I was, I'm smiling because some of you may be relating to that and you feel like you walk in, there's no small level of anxiety around what you're going to face and what's gonna, what you're going to hear and how you're going to interact with it. And, and everybody has had that. Some, I mean, unless you, you know, some people are like, I was born under the pew, which is just a really creepy and gross um, thing to say. But Unless you grew up in the church, most of us have had that experience and, uh, of kind of coming to church and not knowing what was going on. And so I came to church that way. I was 13 years old when I, um, when I started going to a youth group. I was a youth group kid. I didn't start going to Sunday church until I was 18, and that was the beginning of my journey. But I had this youth pastor who uh, was a guy who, um, his name was Dave Hicks, and uh, it is Dave Hicks is his name, and uh, Dave... Uh, he loved God's word. And every Wednesday night, well, Wednesday night in junior high, and then Tuesday night in high school, he got up in front of us with his Bible. And it's not lost on me, by the way, that his Bible looked a lot like this. It was this size. It was this shape. It was the leather cover. And it was all, it was all loose like that. And Dave got up in front of all of us students and talked to us about God from God's word. And he was so stoked, which was the word he would use too because he was a surfer, but he was so stoked about the truth of God as it was revealed in God's word, and he never apologized for the fact that we were dumb kids, but that this was where life was found. And so this is what I, as a young person, even before I ever went to a Sunday morning, this is what I experienced was this guy going, could you believe that? Isn't that rich? Wait, wait, wait. Did you see the word? Did you see it? What's the first phrase? That's my spiritual legacy. Is that not the sweetest thing? Does that not make you understand me just a little bit? And for those of you that know me, and, and then I went to college and I got circle, I circled around me because I was from, again, a whole family of people that didn't believe, that weren't living their lives according to uh, God's principles, that didn't 
weren't connected spiritually. And so I was trying to figure out how to live that way without my parents' help. And so I surrounded myself with a group of people who dug in, who dug into God's word, who dug in to see, dug deep to figure out what it is that God had to say. And so I was around guys who, like, for fun, like, okay, you're looking at me like I'm a nerd. What did you do in college? I mean, I did all that stuff. We did Bible study in the pub. We did all those things. But we dug into God's word together. There's this, I have this picture of us meeting in this conference room because as a student, you can reserve a room in the student union, right, for, for use for club meetings or whatever. And we would, we, we reserved this room at the top floor of the Memorial Union at UC Davis. And uh, there was this conference room up off the roof. And we would meet up there and study God's word together and and lean into God, like, God, we want to be your men. These are the kind of guys that I hung out with. And I was all full of, the, of, the, of the, the flesh as we studied last week. I was all full of being a young guy. I was just a total mess of a man, and, but I was rooted in God's word. And then we were guys that were like, oh man, I got to memorize God's word. Like, I got to get it in my heart. Like, I got to meditate on it. I got to focus on it. I got to keep it there. And so we were guys that had little three by five cards folded up in our pockets all the time of our memory verses. And we were like, we're, we're praying over this verse for each other's lives. And then we would run into other groups of guys that were doing the same thing on campus. We used to literally say this. We'd walk up to one another on campus. You'd see a Christian brother on campus. And we'd go, man, what are you standing on? What promise are you standing on? And that guy would quote to you the scripture verse that he was memorizing that day or that week. He'd say, I'm standing on the fact that. And he would quote a scripture. Does it, does it help you understand me a little bit? That doesn't make me super spiritual. That makes me somebody who absolutely is dependent on the truth of God to keep me rooted in what life is all about. Can I get an amen for that? And the great thing is we're actually part of a whole denomination that, that, that is oriented that way. You know, the evangelical covenant is famous for two different sayings, that when the old Swedish covenanters, they were Swedes, this church started in Sweden, that's why there's still a lot of Johnsons in our denomination, Johnsons and Ericsons, and then there's... Greco and Mazzarello, but um, <laughs> I'm going to the conference tonight, our minister's conference tonight, we get the same joke every time. They're like, how come you have both of the Italians in our denomination? How is that possible? <laughs> but our denomination is famous. When these old Swedes, when they started Chicago and in Iowa and in Illinois, uh, or in, uh, that would be Illinois, and, Illinois and, uh, and Wisconsin and Minnesota, when these old Farmers would find one another, run into each other in town. They would ask two questions the, the ancient covenanters did. Two questions. One, they would say, how goes your walk? Meaning you're walking with the Lord. That's an understood. That's what life is about. How goes your walk? And as they engaged on how to live things out, they asked this question. Does anybody know who took the explorer's class? They asked this question. Anybody know? Where is it written? Like, that's awesome. Where's that written? Let's dig in together and figure out how God has revealed himself to us. I say all that, you guys, because I want you to understand what we're about as a church, that why from time to time I'm down here among you, I'm making you open your Bible, we're talking about digging in. It's because we believe that our God loves us so much that he wants to communicate to us his heart, his love, his plan. And if he's a communicating God, then we want to, on our end, receive that communication by digging into God's word. I hope that you are growing in your relationship with God by this encountering him in his word every day. Does that not inspire you, I hope, to be a person of his word and open it up and dig in? Well, that's what this series is about, digging in. And uh, 
and we're looking at Romans chapter 8. And uh, so let me, let's, um, well, before I read the text, just two weeks before, uh, this is where we've come so far. Um, ben preached on uh, verses 1 through 4 of Romans 8, and it's kind of this theme was he loves you too much to let you stay separated from him, that God has provided a relationship with himself. Last week, I talked about he loves you too much to let you live according to your sinful nature, to be stuck living according to the sinful part of you and not according to the Spirit. And this week, the theme is he loves you so much that you're defined by being in his family. That's the definition, that we're defined by being in his family. So let's read the text together, uh, not together out loud together, but let's read the text since you have your Bibles open, Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. This one will be a little easier because it's a shorter passage. So I didn't put it on the screen because I really was hoping everybody would get a Bible in their lap or on their, their phone. Okay, all right, here's one more thing. I take the opportunity when we're doing this, when we're down here, we're studying the scriptures, that I want to kind of help people that are sort of newer, the word, the, the word of God or the Bible is a little bit like, yeah, I'm not so used to it. I want, to, want you to be aware of a few things. I said it last week, the big number in your Bible is, is a chapter number. So this is the book of Romans. So Paul wrote a book to, to Christians living in Rome. So it's called Romans. And the big number is chapter eight, and the little numbers there are verses. So when we say Romans 8, 14, it's chapter 8, verse 14, okay? The other thing I want to let you know is that if you look at the front of your Bible that you have from the church, it says it's the, the today's new international version. That just happens to be a translation, um, a type of translation that a bunch of scholars got together. You can actually read. You can take one of those home if you'd like it. We're actually buying new ones because a lot of people do take them home, and we, these are out of print, so we're going to get new ones coming up here pretty soon. But... Um, you can read the preface about the scholars that went into what went into their translation because the Old Testament originally, the Jewish scriptures were written in Hebrew and the New Testament, which are the scriptures about Jesus, are originally written in Greek. So we need to translate them into English. Isn't that fun? And of course, translation is not an exact science, is it? And so this is one type of translation, one version, as we say. Okay? So that's why sometimes somebody will read something and it'll be different than what it says in yours because it's a little bit different English translation. Isn't that great? Is anybody else interested in that or just me? Is that right? Okay. <laughs> Romans 8, 14. Big A, little 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, remember what I said about this, that the, the uh, theme is about he loves you so much that we're defined by being in his family. We're defined by being in his family. And so you go back and look at this text, and you realize he's talking about being his children, Right? So let's, let's study a little bit together. This verse 14 starts by talking about how our identity is in being a child of God. Our identity is in being a child of God. I should say being a child of God. Somehow they got left off of there. Um, do you see verse 14? Those who live according to... Oops, sorry. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
So this text, you guys, is not about what we're supposed to be doing. It's a text about who we are. So who are we? What does it say? Children of God. That's going to be our identity. Remember, if you were here for the first couple of uh, sermons and you saw the, um, uh, my sermon last week, if you didn't, you should go see it uh, uh, online or listen to it because it's this idea that we can live according to the, to the sinful nature, our fleshly part, or we can live according to God's spirit. In the light of that, it says, so if you're going to choose to be a spiritual person, then this is your identity. What is it? You are a child of God. That's what it says. Last week, we learned some Greek. We said, you can live according to the flesh. Anybody remember the Greek, according to the flesh? Katasarka, good. Katasarka, according to the flesh. Or you can live according to spirit, which was, anybody remember? Katanuma. And we said, get a tattoo, katanuma. I'm living according to the spirit. Don't get katasarka tattooed on you, but katanuma. So, so far, we've been taught, listen, in the Greek, we've been taught, you live not kata sarka according to the flesh, but kata numa according to the spirit. And if you do, ready? You will be technatheu, children of God. Ooh, that's a good one. Say that one with me. Technatheu. Technatheu. You're going to be a technatheu. You're going to be a child of God. So now I can see your tattoo really forming, right? The Greek letters. Kata numa, led by the spirit. Technatheu, child of God. Who's in? All right. So it's saying that we're going to be children of God. Now listen, think about it. Tell me, why would God, do you think, use as the primary description of our identity as human beings, his people, why would he use the metaphor of being a child? What are some thoughts on that? Tell me, tell me. Okay, wait. Children rely on parents. Yeah, John, you said. There's a dependence. Yeah, somebody else. They have a family resemblance. They've inherited things. They look like their parents. And we look in our, as we grow in our image, we look like God. Good, yeah. Okay, there's unconditional love there. So there's a description of the relationship. Anybody else have a thought? Yep. Parents, Parents teach their children. Yeah. Innocence. Innocence. Trust. Trust. Our parents would do anything for us in the ideal. That's exactly right. Very aware, by the way, every time we have these conversations about being a child of God, that as parents, we have very imperfect children, and most of us have very imperfect parents. And so we have to translate into sort of the ideal, don't we? And that's part of it. But yeah, do you see that? Do you see all those beautiful sort of, this is our identity as being in a child, and God's used this image of being a child. He's saying if you're led by the Spirit, if you're a believer in Jesus, then you are a child of God. Like that's our primary identity because of all of those things that you just said. That, those, that, that beautiful image of being loved and dependent and trusting our good Father and being innocent and... Uh, growing up to look like our parent and all that stuff that's a beautiful, that's, those are great, that's, a, that's great. Those truths contrast some lies about our identities that we usually carry around. I mean, the reason we're focusing on this, part of digging deep is going word by word and phrase by phrase and thinking through, so wait a minute now, what's my identity? Ooh, it's a child of God. What's a child like? A child is like this. 
that is supposed to counteract that truth, is gonna counteract some of the lies that we believe about our identity. See, identity is really huge and we all know it because we all live with a sense of our identity and our sense of identities are super messed up. They're messed up by what we've done. They're messed up by what we haven't done. They're messed up by the people uh, that have uh, um, impacted us, um, sometimes profoundly negatively. They're impacted by the way people think. We have, everybody carries around, if we gave you the truth serum or a bunch of cab or Chardonnay, and asked you, what's your identity? What would you say? Every one of us has a number of stories rolled into what our identity is. And most of them are some lie, some untruth that's opposite of this I'm a child of God. Some of it, it's what, we, what we've done. So some people go, oh, my identity, I'm the, um, I'm the addict. Uh, I'm the divorced person. Some of us, it's what we do. Oh, I'm the cop. I'm the mom. I'm the rich guy. For some of us, it's part of a, it, it, it's part of a, um, some sort of character that we've assigned ourselves. I'm the funny guy. I'm the impatient person. I'm the bad father. What is it for you? Are there others? Are there others that you see that, we, that are common, even, even share some with me? Are, are there others that you see that are common in our culture of ways that we identify ourselves other than being a child of God, Diane? Yeah, I think like if you um, are born with some sort of physical deformity or mental illness, then you identify yourself as, oh, I'm that. Yep, a physical uh, trait or, a, or, a, or, an, or a, even a, an illness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Terry? Absolutely. Political affiliation. Good. How else do we define ourselves? Yeah, Isabel? A victim. Super common. Yeah. Alan? By gender and age. By gender and by age. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the old guy. Yeah. I'm the one who can't get it together. I'm the brilliant one. I'm the one that can get it together better than the person next to me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, think, yeah. Yeah, by body type, absolutely. Yeah, we're judged, we judge ourselves and identify ourselves by that external stuff. All of those external things is a lot like living, as we talked about last week, according to the flesh, right? They're all about the fleshly things. But this is so profoundly important that we, and it's so 101 for many of us to understand, I'm a child of God, but we cannot blaze by it if we're going to be digging deep in the scriptures. We have to stop and say, okay, 
Here's what it says. If I'm going to be on this spiritual journey, if I'm filled with the Spirit of God, verse 14 says, then I'm a child of God. That is my foundational identity. It goes on, verse 15. Look at verse 15. It goes on to start talking about what it isn't and, and, and elaborates a little bit more on being a child. So verse 15, so it says, okay, you're a child of God. That's what we are. We're children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you what? Slaves. Slaves, so that you fear again. So hey, you're a child. You're not a slave who lives in fear. We're not slaves who live in fear. This is interesting that he used that analogy, but of course, when you think about when you study the scriptures, we're thinking about a document that was written in the first century, and so there, slavery was an, a very uh, a popular, uh, popular, that's the wrong word, common um, uh, thing in their culture. And so um, he says, listen, you're a child, you're not a slave who lives in fear. There's this, there's this contradiction, of course, between a child and a, a slave. So what would define a slave's life? By the way, let's dig in. Let's meditate in the scriptures. What, what would define a slave's life? Who his owner was. Okay, who their owner was, for sure, but they're owned is part of what I'm hearing there, Jeff. Yep. What else would define a slave's life? Work. They do what they're told. Work, they what they're, told. They're, they're laboring in order to please their master. They just do, there's no freedom. Okay. There's no pay. Lack of choices. Lack of choices. They're not good enough. No There's no future. No taxes. No taxes. <laughs> Small consolation, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they're they're bound. They're they're in bondage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Subject to punishment. Yeah. In the last row there, Todd. They get whipped. They get punished. And there's no birthrights. Now, you see the contrast here? Isn't it a beautiful contrast by the author? We're children of God. He goes, you're not slaves. Slaves, this is what a slave's life is. And he specifically says, what's the, what's the phrase there about slaves? A slave's life is what? It's about fear. What are slaves afraid of? All those things we just shared, but specifically, what else would you say? Death, somebody said. They're separated from family. They're, yep. Their children are born into bondage? Abuse. Abuse. Doing something wrong. This is the contrast here. You've got a heavenly father who says, this is your identity. You are a child of God. Not a slave who's in fear of punishment and separation. Remember what the first few, first four verses I was going to say first few verses of Romans 8 is about God loves us too much to let us stay separated from him. So he took all of the condemnation off of us and it went on the cross. And now there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. And so we're forgiven. We do not live in fear of punishment and death and separation from God, going back to the spiritual. We don't live in fear of that. As children, we're in the family and we inherit it. It's ours. And there's no fear of God in that. It's a healthy fear, you know, double meaning, of how awesome God is. But we do not fear his punishment, and we do not any longer fear death, 
spiritual death, physical death. He says, you are not slaves who live again in fear. That's not what you are. But what are you? What's the second half of verse 15 start to say? But you are, what have you received? The spirit of sonship. So let's see, what does it say? Verse 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Tend to have inclusive language in our modern translations of the Bible, sonship slash daughtership. Here it's sonship. The reason it's called sonship here is because there's a little bit of a nod to a, it's not just being about men. It implies daughtership, sonship, childship, as the verses just told us. But it's applying to a a legal term that's here, that adoption at the time was very common, where a a, um, a house, um, the leader of a household would adopt someone to bring them into the family, and they would have full legal rights, and then it would be a, a, a male in that, in that context. So the, the word actually has son built into it. The Greek word has thun, son, the name son, the word son built into it, S-O-N. So that this person who was not a son, in fact, this person could have been a slave with no rights and no connection at all to the family, could be brought fully into the family. Our word, adoption as well, and they use the same word. That the head of the household could say, you are now part of my family. And the word was a legal technical term that didn't say you're kind of part of the family. You're a little like the family, like some of your golden retrievers are a little like the family. Or some of your kids' friends are a little bit like they think, oh, these are my, you know, my, my, you guys are like my pseudo mom and dad. This was full legal adoption with all the rights and responsibilities of that family, including an inheritance, including uh, being uh, on the, the title of everything that that father owned. And so he says, listen, this is the picture of us because apart from Jesus, none of us are in the family of God. And many of us, by the lies that we tell ourselves, don't believe we maybe even belong in the family of God. But he said, your identity is, verse 14, you're children of God. You're not slaves who fear the punishment of your master, you're actually brought in like his very children. That is a cool image. Now, we shared a little bit about what are the images of, of being, why did God use child? Why do you think God used adopted? What, what, what does that tell you about this relationship? Tell me some things. What does adoption tell you? Chosen. Yeah, somebody back here? Yeah, it's not a birthright, but you've been given it. It's a gift. It's a gift. You've been chosen. Redemption. Redemption, great word, especially because some of these people were slaves or indentured servants or were somebody else's slaves or indentured servants. And so they were redeemed by being adopted into the family of sons. Yeah. A new start, start, she said. That is beautiful. Isn't that a great picture? So we're children of God. What's that like? Is it like slaves who have to do what they're told, who don't have any freedom, who are in bondage, who have no rights, who are fearful of their masters? No, it says. 
We're like adopted children who are fully welcomed in the family, not kind of, not partially. This is not fostering. This is not foster children, friends. This is full legacy into the family. We're adopted. He loves you so much, as I said, he picked you that your identity would be that you would be in his family. Oh, I love the image of adoption. Chosen, picked out of a lineup. Don't have to do this, but I'm going to. I want you. This just feels familiar to me because I feel like I've preached on this so many times. We've touched on it in so many other texts or so many other sermons. This idea that God is like, I, I picked you. I choose you. And you're like, well, he chose everybody. Well, you know what? That doesn't change the fact that he chose you. I made you. I have a vision for you. I want a relationship with you, and I want you in my family, so come be in my family. I see your value. I want, to get, leave, I want you to share in my legacy. I'm going to give you rights and responsibilities in this beautiful thing called the kingdom of God. No, not me. I can't do that. Yes, you. I pick you to do that. Friends, this should change. Most of us are walking around with a spiritual inferiority complex. This God has said you are worthy to be his child, his son or his daughter, and he picked you to be fully in. And some of us go, yeah, I kind of feel adopted. He's got like natural children, and then he's got other children that are sort of like, I'm kind of the adopted kid. You guys, This Is Us fans, are you up to date on This Is Us, the show? Are you afraid to admit that you're addicted to This Is Us? <laughs> They have triplets, only one of them is the twins and, a, and an adopted kid who was born on the same day. And he's living out that identity of being different than the other two. Listen, there's no natural children of God, those people that grew up in church or that do it all right or that always, and then there's you. We're all adopted, and we're adopted fully into the role of sons and daughters. So, our identity is being a child of God, not slaves who live in fear, but adopted as sons and daughters. And then it goes on to talk about something really cool, for in intimacy and for assurance. So look at the next, the next phrase. So the spirit we receive doesn't make us slaves so that we live in fear. Rather, the spirit... Oh, by the way, did we mention well enough that if we're going to be adopted, then the fear is gone? Because there's a contrast there in the scripture, right? Don't think you're slaves who... Boom, fear is it for them. No, opposite, adopted kids who no longer have to fear. What is it you're afraid of, church? What are your deepest fears about who you are and how life could go? This text is saying God has brought you fully into his family, the family of our creator, all-powerful, all-wise, all-good God, and you're in his family. And so fear is cast away. Man, I want to live into that. So then the next phrase, and so, uh, and you receive the spirit of adoption to sonship, and then what does it say? And by him we cry, anybody see it? What's it say? 
Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word. That was the everyday language that Jesus and his people spoke. They probably spoke some Hebrew as well, which is the classic language of the Jewish people. They spoke Greek because that was the, the language of everybody in the world at that time. And this is Abba is Aramaic and Father, the word Father there is in the Greek. And it says that we, if we're adopted kids, then we're going to have this intimacy where we're going to cry out to him, Abba, Father. And it's, much has been made of this. If you've been around church, you've heard this before because you've seen passages where Abba is in the scriptures. Jesus prayed by using the word Abba in a couple of places in the scripture. It's a very familial term. It's a very uh, common term. And, and most people are thinking, most scholars are thinking, this is a new way of addressing God. Like that kind of intimacy didn't necessarily, that it wouldn't have occurred to most Jewish believers at the time, where Jesus was changing the rules. It wasn't just our Father who's in heaven. They used the word Father, and so there was a sense of intimacy in the Jewish religion, but it was our dad, too. It's our dad. And so in our hearts, because we're adopted, we actually cry out, Dad. Now, Daddy might be going a little too far because it wasn't quite that, you know, sometimes we want to think about making it really, really sweet, but dad was probably a better translation than daddy, but you only say it in your family. You don't call anybody else your dad. And so he was, he, we, because we're adopted, we can cry out, Abba, dad, my father. Listen, don't miss the implication of this. We're called into intimacy, We're called into intimacy with him. And I love that it says that we can cry out, Dad. When do you cry out? When you need him. When you're needy. You cry out when you need help. And our relationship with our Father in heaven is one where we cry out because we are desperate for him. So don't miss this. This is... This is about painting the picture that as the children of God, no longer do we live in fear and bondage, but we, in fact, are free and so free that we, listen, should have a relationship with God where we're crying out to him, dad, 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 dad. Does that sound like some of your kids downstairs in children's ministry right now? You're like, yes, this is my one hour. (laughs) Dad, dad, dad. Do you have that kind of relationship with God? It's open to you because you're a child. I have this goofball friend who is so, so in love with Jesus. He's a young man. He's just still so stupid. He doesn't even know anything about life. I just look at him. I go, you're so sweet and stupid still. It's so great. And this is how he talks. He's newly married. Oh, my wife and I, we were going over this restaurant, and we just... On the way, we just prayed to our Father in heaven that he would give us a good table. <laughs> and then when they got a good table, he's like, yeah. And then we just paused and we just thanked our Father for giving us this sweet moment. Are you kidding me? Are you like me judging him right now? <laughs> and inside, there's some deep pull to say, that's what I was made for. That level of intimacy with my creator God And I'm literally standing here right now getting chills down my back because that's what we all want in the deepest places. Intimacy and assurance. Because it goes on to say after that that he 
Not only do we cry out, Abba, Father, but it says that, look at verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What does that mean? We cry out, we're adopted, so we cry out, oh, Dad, let's live this way. You're my dad. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to need you. I'm going to be close to you. And then it says, and then the Spirit that's within us testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. So there's this reciprocal relationship. There's some sort of a, this text is teaching this sentence. Don't blow right by it now. What does it say? There's something that can happen inside believers where we're assured that we're his. I don't even know how to preach this because there's nothing to do here. But have you had the experience, those of you that have walked with Jesus, of just knowing in a crisis, in a quiet moment, even through the racket of life, just knowing, oh, I'm his, and he's with me. That, my friends, is what the scripture teaches, is the peace that surpasses all understanding. And without it, I believe we're doomed to stress and anxiety. And the, 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 how do we get it? Let's live into this relationship of the spirit within us, claiming that we're God's children. Text goes on, I'm out of time. Verse 17, not only do we have this assurance, but we end up having an inheritance. If we're children, then we're heirs. So not only are we children, but we're heirs. And we talked a little bit about that. Heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, as, as long as, if indeed we share in his sufferings, as we will also share in his glory. I'm not bypassing sufferings. This is not gonna be an easy journey. Next week, you look, you look the next verse says, and Ben's gonna preach on it next week. But our present sufferings, we'll look at how we deal with those in context of this whole big picture. What would it look like, church, if you received as an inheritance all, all that God has for you as his adopted child? His provision, his presence, a sense of the eternity, peace that passes all understanding, that drives out fear, because as First John says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. This is the life that our God calls us to and that he gives us. May I just leave you this challenge to meditate and rehearse these truths this week. That if you're a follower of Jesus, you're his child. Live fully as children of God, receiving all that our Father has for us.